Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wolber, and today we've got our second round of the conversation with Chris Walker. To me, Chris Walker is one of the strongest voices in B2B marketing. In order to make the most of this conversation, I thought the best thing we could do was break it up into small segments. In today's conversation, you're going to hear from Chris on the parallels between B2B and B2C marketing, and then we're going to hear specifically on how he'd recommend that a multifamily marketer can think about deploying strategies that span both capturing as well as creating demand. This is a very fun and informational conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. Yeah, and to, uh, so I have been thinking a lot about this, and just to set this up, I think it's just to reiterate on creating demand versus capturing demand and looking at how you spend. So when the, the key difference in B2C multifamily marketing is that in order for you to have a shot of getting that person to rent your apartment is if they are in the market to move, right? And so there's a huge level of in market that plays into how people market here, where they only want to talk, we, they only want to market to people that have demonstrated intent to move. Um, the challenge with doing that is that by the time they've decided that they want to move, often you're too late. They've already decided what neighborhood they want to live in. They've already decided what building they want to live in. They've already decided what diff- they've already had these, a lot of these dynamics by the, before they search in Google. And so the key, and then when you get into creating demand is that, how do you get a buyer before they want to buy to say, when I move, I'm going to move here. That's what you want so that you don't even, once they get into market, you don't even have to fight over that with the other thousand apartments that are wasting so much money on Google for the lead. And you don't have to worry about any of that stuff because they just come in and they get a tour and they, and they buy because they've decided already that these are the types of people, this is the right neighborhood. Those are, these are the things. And but because of the obsession with measurement, companies won't make make those investments in trying to make that stuff happen. But what you want to do is you want to you want to own the neighborhood, you want to own the town, you want to be the place that everyone wants to live. And part of that is the product issue, right? Part of that is product. You have to decide who was our target customer and what product are we offering, and do we have the best product for that for that consumer? And then if you don't, then you have to figure out how we're going to niche down or actually update our product. And then you actually have to go out and drive demand for it. What are the things that those people like? What are the things they're looking for? Is it schools? Is it walkability score? Is it, uh, you know, having a pool on the roof? Is it that you have like, you know, you got a younger crowd, you got dance parties on Friday nights on the, on the roof. What are the, what are the things that these people care about? And then how do you educate those people before they decide that they want to move? Um, I like that. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and we're also seeing this like massive trend and a lot of it was like skyrocketed during COVID where we saw a lot of people choose to rent. So renters by choice has now become this whole new category where people are selling a home and realizing that they can go move wherever they want to and use that as a lever to go work remotely and experience lifestyles. And most recently, Chris, you may have heard if you follow A16Z, they just made their biggest single size VC check ever into a multifamily investment called Flow. And yeah, didn't hear about that. <laughs> and and like tons of speculation now on like what that's going to do for brand, what that's going to do for marketing, also what that's going to do for these renters by choice who want lifestyle first living. And I, I think there's going to be an opportunity like you've been experimenting with TikTok. I've loved your lives lately uh, to be able to yeah. go on and use some of these new channels that multifamily hasn't even touched yet. 
Yeah, I mean, when when you leave behind, or in, in leave behind probably isn't the right way to say it. When you start to rebalance how you focus your energy and your budget, right? So the one thing that I like to look at for companies in multifamily, this would be a great example B to C, is how is our money and our effort being divided between capturing demand and creating demand in B to B. It's 95% capturing demand. I expect that there's no different in multifamily. You know, you, right? You got like the intern that's doing like Instagram marketing and getting 15 likes on a post. And that's about all that you're doing to quote unquote create demand. Everything else is transactional leading to a sales conversation or the actual like leasing agent expenses to act, to doing that stuff, paper lead, things like that. Um, and so like when you, when you leave that, mindset behind and you think about, okay, now I actually want to go out and get people to want them to move to our neighborhood, to want to be, have their kids go to this kindergarten or preschool because it's in the area or whatever, whatever else you're trying to market. When you do that, you have to think differently about how you measure the success of those expenses. Um, if you measure and why companies never escape this is because they, they go and change the strategy and they still measure it on a cost per lead or a pay per lead type of basis. And if you are going to measure something on pay per lead, then go run lead gen. That's what it's made for, right? But the, the challenge in multifamily, to, in, in my opinion, the same thing that goes in B2B, all the same things exist, is that you, how many people do you rent for how many leads that you get? Absolutely. In B2B, it's probably one in a thousand, right? It's, that's probably what it is. Um, and I don't know what it is in B2C. It's probably less than one in a, it's probably more than one in a hundred. Oh yeah. Even um, better. And, yeah. 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 It's pro it's probably, it probably is close to the same. If you think about all the trash that the leasing agent doesn't even follow up with. Right. Um, and a lot of those are from aggregators. A lot of those are, you know, referrals and you're giving away lease bonuses and things like that. And at some point you got to think like, is it even worth it to acquire this customer anymore? And that's the, that's the conversation that software companies are having right now is that, if we just run in Google, we put all our spend there. We have a blended customer acquisition cost of 29 months. Like, we're, is our retention going to keep up with that? Is our, like, and it just sort of like, it makes you rethink all the stuff. It's not just about occupancy. And I mean, occupancy matters, but the cost uh, to actually get a customer and different things like that matter as well. And the way that I built my business was by acquiring customers for way less than anyone else. By, be, by marketing in the right places, which allowed me to acquire customers for significantly less, which allowed me to, with a small budget, with it's just me in my company at the beginning and being able to go out and get customers at a cost of like a thousand or two thousand dollars to get a hundred thousand or plus more lifetime value customer. And then you do that over and over again. That's how you get accelerated growth. It's hard to do that when it's costing you, you know, $25,000 to get a renter that's going to pay you $26,000. Totally. Well, we just ran an experiment on our forms that we place on a lot of our customers' websites, and we used the self-reported attribution field just to see if we could ask people, residents specifically, where they heard about our clients' properties. And none of them said Google. None of them said Instagram. They all said these like top of funnel things that our customers didn't even realize they were doing. And as we've shared that feedback back to some of our customers, it's really opened up their minds to thinking differently about how they invest, how they operate events they're running on site, or like you said, in the neighborhoods they want to be present in. And I think the narrative here is um, beyond applicable, but it is a matter of changing 30 years of bad habits or habits that just haven't been changed.
Yeah. You mentioned earlier, I want to go back to it. You mentioned that you did a similar analysis and you saw a lot of the things didn't match up. I'd be interested. What are some of the key things that, that were not, were deemed not working? So, I mean, in our, in our world on the B2B side, there's four or five kind of key national conferences that, that you almost kind of, and I'll air quote this, like have to be at or else you're missing out. And big expenses from a booth, attendance, sponsorship, party perspective. And my like napkin math would be that I bet 50% of most marketing budgets go to these four or five conferences. Um, last mm -hmm. year was my first year as CRO at this company. And the hypothesis I had was that they weren't going to nap napkin out for us, but we went all in and did what we'd done in the past. And less, less than 10% of our new customers came from conferences based on data in our CRM or based on conversation with my sales team. Uh, 75% have come from events we've run on our own where it's been us putting together some sort of an experience, having some sort of a regional draw for regional operators tied to content or, um, some sort of an experience, and then using that as an opportunity to meet people that then eventually when they're ready to buy are raising their hand and saying, Hey, let's talk to rent dynamics. Mm -hmm. But I mean, to answer your question it was really hard to look at that data. We spent tons of money and got next to nothing within about a year window. I, I did the same thing in 2017 when the company was, uh, the company I worked for a majority, I don't know the exact figure, but it was definitely more than 50% of the in total, total marketing budget was spent to go to 12 conferences, some national and some regional conferences and things like that with an attributable ROI of one customer net new through all 12 customer or all 12 events, 12 months back. Um, and so the company sees, oh, we're having dinner with a current customer. We did an expansion or different things like that. And you can do all that stuff at a conference without having a booth, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really like if you scrutinize conferences and events against net new customers, which is the only reason that you should have a booth at a conference is to get new customers, um, then it, it, it's not, it doesn't pan out for almost any customer, any company. Um, so that's an interesting finding validates what I see as well. Well, and it, it doesn't feel good, but I mean, at the end of the day, the 10% of customers that we got weren't even attributed to the booth. They were our reps reaching out to people that were on the 10,000 person attendee list and then getting that's a dinner, crazy. a happy hour. So to your point, like, I think there's a room to go really opposite and really stand out next year for us, but also for a lot of the folks in our space that are certainly thinking differently as, as, um, costs have gone up and I'd say results have gone down over the years. Yeah. And I've, I've been recommending this for years is that ditch, ditch the booth and then go to the conference, set up the meetings that you would set up, meet with current customers to expand, execute market research, create content with thought leaders, go to the sessions and see what are my customers listening to. Um, there's so much value to be had at a conference. It's just no longer in the booth. I mean, I did a podcast episode live at one of the conferences. And oddly enough, that's one of our attributed customers is someone I met cold, had him on the podcast and six months later, they're a customer. So, and that was an experience that I think, you know, got, got us kind of on their radar. Um, I, I'm curious, Chris, like, where do you go to learn? Like you're, you're someone who's like leading the narrative on social. Your podcast has kind of gone through these different waves. You're doing TikTok lives now and giving back even more advice to, to the market. Are you a podcast guy? Are you a book guy? Are you just listening to customers and learning on your own? Like how do you codify your expertise? At this point, it's, it's 
and it has been this way for as long as I can re remember. Um, there was a time in my career between 2012 and 2018 where I did a lot of learning and had a, several key mentors that helped me on things like being able to go out and execute customer research in a non-biased way, being able to then translate that to what does the customer need and how are we going to position our product or drive new product development to how are we going to go out and figure out these customers and actually drive demand with a strategy at top accounts. So I sort of like had mentors that taught me a lot of those things. Um, and then once you have the foundation of like the four P's of marketing, how to do customer research, like the, the core foundational elements, after that, it's all execution. After the frame, the framework has been set, what are we trying to do? We have to create demand. We have to capture demand. We have to understand customers. We have to position in the right way. The frame has been set. Then it's just about how, where do we actually go out and do that? Um, and so like me experimenting, you mentioned TikTok Live, me experimenting with TikTok Live, what I'm doing right now in 2022 with TikTok that many people probably look at and say, wow, this guy's a fucking idiot. It's a waste of time. He's doing a TikTok. He's a CEO of a 120 person company. And he's doing a TikTok Live with 17 people on it. This guy's out of his mind. What they don't realize is that the same thing I did in 2019 on LinkedIn is the exact same thing that I'm doing on TikTok right now. I posted on LinkedIn for more than six months, had minimal traction. Got, you know, probably on average somewhere between seven and 20 engagements per post. Had nothing like, had nothing wild happening there. And then all of a sudden, LinkedIn now has fundamentally changed our business. And like you mentioned, I'm one of the most prolific people that drive thoughts into the market about B2B, B2B revenue and marketing today. Um, and that was just allowing the channel to have time to happen. So what am I experimenting with right now? We experiment with link, uh, with TikTok. We're spending a lot of time trying to think about, our live of like live event or virtual event strategy is something that we're working on a lot. We've been like we've been experimenting a lot with YouTube. We do YouTube lives and things like that, and that experiment has been underwhelming to say the least. We've been spending a lot of time there and haven't gotten a lot out of it. Um, and so those are some of the things that I'm working on right now. And that, so that's like what our business is doing, right? But then it's we work with, I think right now we have 60 B2B SaaS companies that are our customers. So we get to see, I get to see inside, what are our teams doing? What does the data look like? What technology are they buying? What, how do they set up the team? What are the goals? What's the growth rate? And so you just, I get a lot of exposure by being in the details, right? So it's hard, it's, it's sort of hard to like, uh, listen to what someone else says and then like from a podcast or reading a book and then translate that into a radically new idea. The way that you get radically new ideas, like the things that we've come up with between dark social and self-reported attribution and standardizing CRM data and many of the other product and service innovations that we're having is like, how do we understand the customer well enough? So um yeah it's been a uh it's been a real interesting it's been a real interesting ride so far that's cool my my ceo calls that like scraping your knees you have to scrape your knees and go do the work roll up your sleeves get that tactical relevance you can read a book but it's a whole different thing to go do it on your own another thing they say is they say learning is 10 percent uh reading or listening to about it 20 percent watching an expert do it and 70 percent doing it yourself so if you just spend all the time in the 10% of like listening and reading about it, you're never actually going to get a majority to learn. You got to go out and do it for yourself.